Good morning, and welcome to the morning walk. This is John on a bleary, gray, and damp morning in Atlanta. Um, better than yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, I actually skipped my walk entirely because it was a downpour of rain uh, all morning in my area. Today, it is simply the aftermath. There's dampness everywhere. There's birds chirping, although not many of them. Gray skies, kind of cloudy, hanging low. Not fog, but that level of mist that hangs just above the rooftops, so you can't really see uh, very far into the sky. It's uh, kind of a fitting fitting background uh, for what has been a long experience with uh, the COVID-19 experience of being socially distant from people, uh, being self-quarantined at our home as businesses continue to shut down. Yesterday, uh, Georgia's governor came out and made an announcement that essentially uh, seemed terribly uh, obvious and ineffective. He came out and said, hey, anyone who is uh, medically fragile should be shelter in place, which, you know, you would kind of assume if you're already medically fragile, you'd probably do that in general until you get better, we hope. Um, or you at least take reasonable precautions. Um, he said that nightclubs and bars are forced to close. I have talked to friends who both visit and a couple that own nightclubs and bars. And let me go ahead and tell you, a lot of them were already closed because nobody was coming. Um, and that was it. Otherwise... Uh, the great conservative state of Georgia continues uh, to have minimal restrictions of people in terms of how they can mill about and go about their day. Uh, I imagine we will be amongst the very last states with any kind of uh, government-directed um, shelter-in-place activity because that just doesn't fit the politics here. Um, but in the middle of this bleak and dreary morning and this somewhat bleak and dreary time, I decided I should share a little bit of passion, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of happiness. Uh, so I wanted to share with you all uh, my kind of uh, hobby of choice. Uh, I was a theater major. I have two degrees in theater. I spent a lot of time in high school. I was a song and dance guy. Starred in high school musicals. And uh, specifically, I was Danny Zuko in Greece. I was Joseph in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I played Javert in Les Mis. And I was Harold Hill in The Music Man. Um, in a couple years of high school musicals, 
had a blast, really enjoyed that, had dreams of going to, and being on Broadway, right? I wanted to be a, a song and dance star on Broadway. Um, ended up in theater at the University of Georgia, um, where they didn't do musicals <laughs> at the University of Georgia, a uh, large state institution had a much more um, normal or mainstream theater curricula based around Shakespeare and the Greek classics and uh, realism was the acting style of choice uh, for the University of Georgia while I was there. And so I went from the big sounds and overly uh, demonstrative characters of musicals to the much more refined and uh, subtle roles in The Importance of Being Earnest or Les Liaisons Dangerous or um, The Frogs or um, Macbeth. And my saving grace in theater, the thing that really struck home with me was that I became part of a student group uh, called the Comediante Giorgiani. And the Comediante Giorgiani uh, was a student group based in the style of what's called Commedia dell'arte. Commedia dell'arte is an Italian form of theater, dates all the way back to the Greeks. Uh, the origins of the Commedia are simple plays with a master, so an old man, uh, generally wealthy, and his kind of stupid servant. And the most basic Commedia dell'arte plays are really just the master berating his servant for screwing things up, um, which we still see today in theater and in comedy. Um, it really took on its full form around the time of the Italian uh, Renaissance and the Commedia is, has a few characteristics that you can point to and say, yep, that's Commedia dell'arte versus, you know, some other form of theater. Um, the first of these are masks and Masks for the Commedia are both physical masks. The Commedia performers and the male characters wear a half mask, so a mask that does not cover the mouth, but covers the nose and the eyes and the brow. Um, and typically is made out of some form of leather, uh, although current times, uh, a lot of theaters putting on uh, productions inspired by the Commedia will do paper mache to make a temporary mask. Um, but the mask is evolved from uh, the Grecian performances. In the Greek times, they would wear masks, full masks that covered the whole face. But part of the mechanism for wearing the full mask is that the mask essentially had uh, a megaphone built into it. So the mouth of the mask would be shaped in such a way to amplify uh, the projection of the voice so that if you've ever seen pictures of large Greek amphitheaters, you could have 
just a couple of performers on stage who, while they're talking, uh, essentially, the mask itself is booming their voice to, you know, the back row. Um, the As the theater became a little more intimate, uh, the Commedia in particular performed primarily in market squares uh, and in what you would now think of as a theater hall. Um, they didn't need the booming projection and covering the mouth um, prevents a lot of facial expression from the actor. And so they ditched that part of the mask to have a half mask. In addition to the physical mask itself, um, the mask also refers to the idea of archetypes. And so in the Commedia, uh, there are three classes of characters. There are what are known as Nevecchi. Nevecchi are old men, uh, typically socially powerful, wealthy, have some status, leaders of the town, leaders of a household, those sorts of things. Uh, although they are also typically braggarts or idiots or uh, greedy or have some sort of uh, significant uh, character flaw to the archetype. Um, there are enamorati. Enamorati are the young lovers. So virtually every commedia um, play would contain a pair of young lovers who don't wear masks because you don't want to cover the faces of beautiful young actors. Um, and the young lovers are almost always um, trying to get together, but being held apart by the Becky, um, generally along the lines of star-crossed lovers. But more often than not, the young lovers are more in love with the idea of being in love than they are actually in love with each other. And so there's a lot of grandiose posing and presenting to the audience and preening and kind of talking about themselves and very uh, introverted or uh, inward-focused characters. The, the third class of characters, the third archetype, are... The Zani. Zani, um, which is a derivation of uh, Johnny, or kind of a common name, a common um, cast um, person, are the clowns. They are um, laborers. They are barkeeps. They are serving boys and serving wenches. Um, Zani are typically uh, very uh, focused on a certain trait. So the most famous Zani is a Zani named Arlecchino. Arlecchino means little devil in Italian. Uh, as Arlecchino evolved and spread across Europe, Arlecchino came to uh, London where they didn't understand the term and so changed his name to Harlequin, uh, which is probably more recognizable uh, these days. So the Harlequin character with his patchwork of colored 
clothes and his hat and his um, kind of prancing way of walking and his very unintelligent yet somehow uh, cunning uh, demeanor uh, was uh, what's called a secondo zani. And a secondo zani is basically second class zani. Uh, they're the real idiots. <laughs> they're the ones who don't understand what's happening around them typically, have no power whatsoever from a social standpoint, uh, are generally servants to someone else. There's another class of Zani called the Primo Zani. The Primo Zani are the first class of Zanis. They are typically the schemers. So as an example, there's a Primo Zani character known as Scapino, Scapino uh, or Brighella. Uh, they are characters who might be a barkeep or they might be um, a butler or they might be a um, weapons trader or they might be somebody who's got a desire of their own kind of their own agenda that they want to see fulfilled um, and they have to come up with a plan they have to come up with a scheme because uh, they don't have any money <laughs> to mention or they or they have money uh, but they're trying to get more, and typically they're trying to fleece that money from the Vecchi, right? The, the rich old men in the story. There's typically some scheme going on uh, where Brighella may be trying to trick um, Pantalone, who's one of the fathers, who, you know, Pantalone into paying an excessive dowry for his daughter to be married to a boy, um, but Brighella knows the boy doesn't want the money, and so he plans to sneak in and snatch it. Um, the Primo Zani typically are the ones who really drive the story forward um, because they're the ones who are trying to change things, and almost always trying to change things uh, for their own benefit, but frequently that ends up accidentally being to the benefit of others uh, in the story, such as getting the young lovers together. So... What was unique at the time about the masks with the Commedia is that the characters existed outside of story. So today you might think of uh, Hamlet as an example and say, all right, the character of Hamlet um, only exists in that play. You don't, Hamlet doesn't pop up again in Macbeth or Hamlet doesn't pop again pop up again on the Big Bang Theory. Like Hamlet is a character that's attached to a story. Um, with the Commedia, the characters existed outside of the story. They were stereotypes that existed in the world. Dirty old man, foolish servant, uh, braggart mercenary, uh, idiot doctor. Uh, these were characters that the common people in the Renaissance would have recognized in their town and said, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, that's just like the mayor. He's a real blowhard. Or, oh, yeah, I know that girl, teenager, young, stupid, in love. I, I know several of her, right? So these characters came out of the fabric of society themselves. They weren't specifically anchored to any one story. And thus, these same characters existed uh, throughout many, many stories over a long time. So the masks are the first kind of characteristic of the Commedia dell'arte. The stories 
are the second. And so with the commedia, the stories are uh, referred to as scenari. And in scenari, we get the word in English scenario, um, which means essentially the outline of action. And so a scenari is kind of the bare bones plot of a story. Two old men meet, they argue over who owes the bill for lunch. Um, that's a scene. Then two young lovers uh, interact with each other in the plaza. That's a scene. Uh, young woman goes home and shares her excitement about young man uh, with her handmaiden. That's a scene, right? So a sonati essentially was just that. It was a bulleted outline of plot points um, that would essentially be posted backstage. The characteristic of scenari that made the Commedia unusual is that the dialogue was not specified. And so the performers actually improvised the dialogue around the scenari that they were performing. So they would see backstage, oh, this is a argument between the old men over a dowry. Okay, and then they would go out on stage and essentially improvise the dialogue in order to present that scene. And so the Commedia does not have a legacy of uh, written scripts, a la Shakespeare's canon. There are not written um, documentation of the exact performances because uh, they weren't written down. They were made up as they went along. Now, we have um, found through research um, some scenari, right? So we know kind of the story plot lines that were being told, the outlines that were being told that were probably posted up, you know, backstage or memorized uh, amongst the performers before a show. Uh, but there's no script to speak of like you would think of in a modern film or a modern um, play. So the first characteristic is masks. The second characteristic is scenari. The third characteristic that goes along with scenari is lazzi. So lazzi is Italian for uh, ribbons. And so the idea of the lazzi, lazzi are little comic bits frequently used that essentially hold the plot together. So that's the ribbon idea, right? You can picture just a collection of things that have been tied together with ribbon. And the Lotsi exists much like the characters. They're kind of outside the bounds of a story. So you might see the same comic bit used uh, across multiple stories. Most recognizable uh, Lotso, which is the singular, most recognizable Lotso in Western culture is probably that of a banana peel, right? So in any comedy, frankly, most dramas, movie, TV, show, wherever, if you see a point made about eating a banana and the peel being left on the ground in some obvious position, what comes next? Yeah, somebody's gonna slip. It's almost a law of physics 
within Western theater. Um, that banana peel laying on the ground is an opportunity for disaster, and it starts to build a tension amongst the audience as they wait to see who's going to slip on the banana peel. What is that going to do to them? Is it going to injure them? Are they going to spill something? Are they going to run into someone? Are they going to destroy the scenery? Like, what's going to happen um, when, inevitably, somebody slips on that banana peel? Um, if you had another character come up and just casually clean up the banana peel, you would actually leave the audience with a sense of having missed out on something because the lots of slipping on a banana peel is so well known and so prevalent um, that you almost are obliged to fulfill that comic bit. And in the Commedia, they had that same thing. They had these routines that were developed um, by characters. And so Arlecchino is an example, who's the hungry servant, who's this kind of laborer, you know, downtrodden, not too bright, poorly paid, hungry all the time, always for food or for women or just hungry. Um, he might have a lot so where uh, there's actually a famous one where Arlecchino eats himself. And so effectively what happens on stage is Arlecchino generally while he's waiting for his master to return or he's been sent on an errand to complete some task, um, he finds himself hungry his stomach starts growling, and he kind of monologues to the audience, and he'll say, oh, oh, I can't believe I haven't eaten in so long. Oh, my stomach. Oh, it is empty like the bottomless pits of the ancient times where they throw the demons into the pit, never to be seen of again. Those demons are in me now. I feel them. I feel them in my bowels. They move me in ways that are anger. I have to satisfy the demons with food. Where, where shall I find some food? And then Arlecchino goes on to search for food, can't find any, and decides that he has to fulfill the hunger somehow. And so he basically turns himself into a sandwich. He holds his hand up and mimes two pieces of bread or some jam or some butter or whatever being slathered on his hand. And then he mimes eating his hand and he might you know, ball up his fist and kind of pull it into his sleeve to look like his hand is gone, and then he'll work on his feet, and he eventually uh, just eats, devours his own body, and typically this ends um, when whatever he was waiting for, his master or uh, the errand that he needs to run, uh, shows up and kind of forces itself on him, and he's suddenly snapped back to reality. Um, but every character or group of characters... Uh, another of my favorite examples um, is Arlecchino and Braghella, or pretty much any combination of Secondo Zani and Primo Zani. The Primo Zani uh, would have a bit where they stop and say, oh, we need a cunning scheme. We need a plan. Let's come up with a plan. And so then you'd have kind of the characteristic pacing, right? Stroking his chin, scratching his head, doing something as the Primo Zani kind of stalks around the stage, you know, and says, oh, I have to come up with a cunning scheme. Hey, what about this? What about if we take all of the pigs in the neighborhood and we line them up outside the front door and we get them all calling all at once with this whole cacophony of pig noise and we say, hey, piggy, piggy, piggy. And then, when the old man comes out, we say, it's you, we were calling you the whole time, look how you responded. 
No, that's a stupid idea. That's really, that was, we used that last week. And then he goes on and comes up with a different plan. Uh, and eventually what ends that lotso is typically the secondo zani starts chiming in. Or uh, my favorite version is the secondo zani will also start pacing and kind of have his head down and be scratching his chin. And the two of them being very focused on their planning uh, actually run into each other and knock each other over. Uh, and that's what jolts an idea into existence. But the Lotzi can be used at any time. So if you remember, there are scenari, which are outlines, where the dialogue is being improvised. And the Commedia was the world's first capitalist theater, right? At the time, theater was typically performed um, in pagan ceremonies, right, as kind of a verbal history, or it was performed as part of the church as a form of um, teaching biblical stories or teaching religious uh, stories. Uh, it wasn't what we think of today as kind of um, an entertainment industry or even entertainment just for the sake of entertainment. It was usually the expression of a story within context of social norms. Uh, the Commedia really uh, started what we think of as kind of the modern-day entertainment industry uh, because they were families or groups of kind of roving gypsies that performed for money. They performed in market squares um, so that people who were shopping would throw coins into a bucket or onto the stage or, you know... Uh, toss them. If you think these days, if you've ever seen someone who's playing an instrument like a guitar or a violin or a flute or something in the airport or whatever, and they have their case open at their feet, that comes from a very long tradition of which the Commedia is part of providing entertainment purely for money, right? To make, uh, make some, some dough. And as a kind of result or uh, because that was their goal, the improvised dialogue and the Lotzi allowed them to adjust on the fly to what the audience was responding to or not. So if they had a scenario where young lovers were supposed to get together, and for whatever reason the audience was just not reacting to it, um, then the characters could perform these comic bits uh, essentially in the middle of the show uh, to get a laugh, to get people excited, to draw more uh, audience members over to make more money. Everything was about making more money. So as a side effect of being so focused on um, financial gain with their storytelling and their performing, the Commedia was also uh, the earliest places that you see actual women appearing on stage. Generally speaking, at the time of the Renaissance and just before the Renaissance, uh, women, if they were on stage performing, were essentially seen to be in the same class as prostitutes. It was considered demeaning. It was not at all um, appropriate, generally, for women to portray fictional characters. They were supposed to be more, you know, true and earthly than that. Um, but 
what the Commedia was doing was they were doing little shows with the old man and the servant berating each other. Uh, and they were getting some laughs and they were getting some, some coins uh, thrown up on the stage. And then what they would do is when they needed to take a break, they would have their wife or daughter or you know, cousin, niece, whomever, um, go out and dance uh, for the audience just to try and keep an audience around or gather more of an audience so when they came out to do their next set, uh, there were more people there. And what they found was they actually were making more money with the women on stage, right? Because it's mostly men uh, who have the coins. And so they're looking and seeing a pretty girl on stage dancing around and they're chirping and tossing coins. And so the Commedia, purely being about trying to make as much money as they can, um, said, great, we'll make more money if there's women on stage all the time. So let's put them in the show. And so uh, the Commedia is um, full of uh, female characters who were part of the show. But at the time, that was extraordinarily rare. That was inappropriate. Nobody did that. The Commedia did it because, frankly, it was more profitable uh, to have women on stage throughout the show uh, than not. And so that was the motivation. So those characteristics, the mask, the scenario, the Lazzi, uh, are really what defines the Commedia dell'arte from uh, other forms of theater. Um, the Commedia lives on today. Uh, you see it in places uh, and you don't even know what you're looking at. So, as an example, uh, King Louis XIV really enjoyed the Commedia performances because Commedia performers took some of those elements of dance uh, from when the women were on stage and absorbed it into the performance, and the characters all move in very distinct ways. And the, the young ladies, uh, one character in particular, Colombina, Colombina typically moves um, up on her toes, kind of flitting around the stage, looking beautiful while she's you know, going about whatever plot point it is that she's executing. Um, king Louis XIV, the Sun King in Versailles, had a Commedia troupe come, uh, but he didn't understand the Italian. And so all he could really follow along with were the physicality, and he had it set to music, and it has evolved into what is modern day known as ballet. And so there's a style of ballet, actually, uh, known as the Harlequinade, uh, which is uh, very close to the Commedia roots in terms of the story that's being told in the formation there. Where most um, young kids might have first encountered the Commedia without knowing, as if you've ever been to a pu puppet show, uh, Punch and Judy. Punch and Judy, the little kind of finger puppets that whack each other with sticks and there's always kind of a crazy argument uh, is generally the plot. Uh, the Punch and Judy show came from the um, Commedia troops went to London, and they were in England uh, roughly at the time of Shakespeare and the other Elizabethan um, playwrights and, and theater troops, and they were crazy popular. They were just drawing crowds, uh, and so the monarchy supported the theater companies, like the Queen's Men, and set an edict to outlaw performance of the Commedia dell'arte or the Italian comedies um, in England. So the Italian troops already being there and wanting to make money essentially created small puppet shows to tell the same stories. And so they uh, 
evolved around a character named Punchinella, and Punchinella in English became Punch, uh, and his wife Juliana uh, became Judy, and you now have the Punch and Judy show. Uh, another place where you see commedia in Western theater is Arlecchino, or the Secondo Zani, frequently carried essentially a wooden sword, uh, which was called a beton. And the beton was a short wooden sword, clearly fake, but if you picture looking at the beton, uh, holding it from the edge side, it really was two pieces of wood with a small gap between them, so that when you smack somebody with it, it makes an incredibly loud uh, noise. And of course, if the performer getting hit reacts appropriately, it seems like it's incredibly painful when really it's not. It doesn't hurt much at all uh, for the actor when done properly. Um, and so many, many, many times the interaction between uh, the old man and the secondo Zani ends with the old man reaching over and yanking the sword off of the uh, Zani's belt and pretend and then uh, beating him with it. <clears throat> and from that action, from that specific um, kind of bit that was done for laughter, uh, we get the modern term slapstick comedy. Le Beton was literally the slapstick, the two pieces of wood that slapped together. Uh, and the comedy was there was a character on stage being beaten when the audience was kind of in on the joke and they knew that he couldn't really be in that much pain. And so that's where the phrase slapstick comedy comes from. Uh, the secondo Zani also influence us uh, in our language because Zani, which started as a derivation of kind of the common name of Johnny in Italian, has gone on to become the word zany, Z-A-N-Y. So zany is madcap, crazy, illogical, but funny. Um, so the Zani characters were just that. And so now when you refer to someone as being zany, you are essentially calling them uh, an Italian clown. You're calling them a Zani. Um, and then the last thing to leave you with, if you were a fan at all uh, of television um, in kind of modern America, or really most of the world, uh, or the Western world at least, um, you would recognize the scenario in the Commedia format in what are now known as sitcoms. Sitcoms are television shows with comedy with the same characters used over and over again in different situations, right? Situa situational comedy is sitcoms. Uh, that whole structure comes from the Commedia dell'arte's uh, scenario and their idea of masks, right? Being characters that lived outside of the story. Uh, some of the most popular successful sitcoms of all time uh, are almost a carbon copy of the Commedia format. Cheers, uh, which was on for a long time in the 80s and 90s, uh, was two old men, uh, uh, Norm and Cliff, uh, sitting at the end of a bar. Norm was what's called a pantalone character. He's wealthy, he's an accountant, right? And so he's supposedly got some money, uh, but he's uh, miserly, he refuses to spend it. So he'd always you know, put his beer on tab. Uh, he, you never saw him pay his bill. He didn't ever, um, you know, he was never willing to kind of uh, fork over the money to cover his tab. He just kept absorbing, you know, the beer. And then his 
friend Cliff as from a type called a dottore, and the dottore is uh, kind of the idiot educated, right? So Cliff would constantly be explaining things about the derivation of words or concepts or points in history, and everybody knew he was an idiot, right? He'd always get it wrong or not quite understand the point, but he just memorized all these facts and figures that he could share. So those are the Vecchi, the old men at the end of the bar. Um, you had two young lovers, and depending on what point in time um, you kind of see the series, because they shifted these characters around a bit, either the two young lovers were Sam and Diane, or they were... Um, Fraser and Lilith, or Fraser and Diane, or right, they kind of kept bouncing around, but there was always a love story happening across the different episodes. Uh, and then you always had two uh, clowns. You had, uh, for depending again on where in the series you find it, either um, Sam and Woody behind the bar, right, were the two clowns. Sam constantly coming up with schemes to try and help somebody out. Uh, Woody you know, kind of being this idiot, philosophical, you know, um, well-meaning uh, dope. Uh, or you had uh, Coach and Woody for a while, right? Coach was more of the the physical, kind of the old man who was kind of out of his mind, uh, but really well-meaning and warm-hearted. And then Woody was, you know, trying to help him out. Um, but that structure, that three sets of characters, oh, and never forget Carla, Right, the Colombina, who is kind of the serving wench who uses her sexual guiles to uh, get her way, uh, but is not afraid to just berate anybody who happens to be standing around. That whole dynamic comes from uh, the Commedia dell'arte playbook. Uh, the other two most popular series, uh, Friends, right, which had a gigantic run, always had six major characters. Two of them uh, play the old men. Now, I know you say, well, it can't all be old men, it's half ladies half men. Um, there were always two characters, and generally it were the Gellers of uh, Ross uh, and Monica, who, um, or Monica and Chandler, depending on where in the series, who had money, right? They had well-paying jobs, chef or professor or, you know, whatever it is that Chandler did, right? New numbers. Um, you would have two in love, so it could be Ross and Rachel for a while, or it was Chandler and Monica for a while. Uh, and then the other two, generally Phoebe and Joey, uh, were the comic relief. They were the clowns. They were the idiots uh, who were well-meaning and somehow helped everybody out. Um, that format lasted for 10 seasons, right, and was uh, monumentally successful with minimal changes. And then most recently, as a television series uh, known as The Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory didn't start with the Commedia format, it started as um, essentially four characters, right? So three guys and then uh, the young girl across the way, or four guys, I'm sorry, and a young girl across the way. And so you only had Sheldon, who was kind of the old man. He paid for most of the things, but he was incredibly OCD. Uh, you had the young lovers, right? A penny across the way. Um, and, you know, whoever she was dating at the time. And then you had... Um, the two kind of clowns, right? You had a, a Jewish character and an Indian character who were kind of culturally uh, minorities and also uh, socially minorities because they were really awkward around people and women. Um, and that structure kind of set. When, when the Big Bang Theory flushed that structure out and paired up, um, Sheldon then had Amy uh, and then um, Bernadette joined the cast. 
you got the same structure as Friends plus Raj, who became additional comic relief. He was like the the, the uh, Carla from Cheers. You know, he could kind of be used in a utilitarian role depending on where the story needed it. Uh, and once again, the Commedia structure fell in place. They had bits, uh, most famous bits from Sheldon that you can recognize if you know the series, is that Sheldon, uh, because he's obsessive-compulsive, uh, has to knock on a door three times um, before he enters. He has to knock, 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 penny, knock, 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 penny, knock, 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 penny, before he enters. Sometimes they even use that to great comic relief, where he'll knock, 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 penny. She opens the door immediately, and he doesn't know what to do, because he has to complete the sequence, right? It's a law of physics within the comedy. So the modern sitcom, not all of them, but a lot of the most successful ones are still following that same playbook, those same characteristics. Uh, it's, you know, you would say it's not improvised because it's scripted. Well, if you've ever been to a taping, there's certainly plenty of opportunity for improvisation uh, in, in those kind of tapings, and a lot of that stuff makes it into the final show. So thank you. Uh, this episode is a little longer than my normal, um, but I'm also, you know, getting to talk more about my um, my heart's joy when it comes to the Commedia dell'arte. Uh, I've, uh, there are books written about it. Uh, I have performed it for well over a decade. I could literally rattle on about the Commedia and tell stories and um, anecdotes and give performances. I've, te- I've taught workshops. I continue to teach. I have my masks. Um, I could carry on about the Commedia for weeks on end, uh, but it's not really the typical theme of this podcast. Uh, but on this kind of bleary morning, I thought it'd be nice just to share something that uh, I have a lot of excitement about. Hopefully now uh, you've learned a little something or at least think about uh, the comedy you see in a slightly different way. And of course, if you have any questions, if you have any um, suggestions for topics for future episodes, or you'd like to be a guest walker, uh, you can reach out to me. It's John, J-O-H-N dot E, as in Earl, dot Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T, at gmail.com. Everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and in business, stay profitable. Thanks.